You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline. And holy cow, do we have a Wednesday show. The NBA basically blew up today. I woke up, it wasn't even noon yet, and I could not keep track of everything going on in the NBA. First of all, we hear about Kawhi Leonard, potential ACL injury. And you know who's talking about it? Vladimir Putin talking about Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers. There is no happiness in life. There's only a mirage of it on the horizon. So, uh, you know, cherish that. Wow, didn't even know he was a Clips fan. Then we find out that... Kevin Durant, uh, in case we forgot, cannot be guarded last night in the game. It doesn't matter if you're trying. I mean, he's Kevin Durant. I promise we tried. (laughs) We find out that there are coaches that parted ways. We find out there are coaches that got fired. Stan Van Gundy's gone from the Pelicans. Scott Brooks no longer with the Wizards. Don Nelson is out with the Mavs after 24 seasons. Not going to work here anymore anyway. That's right. Unbelievable. (laughs) LeBron James goes on a Twitter rant talking about all the injuries in the NBA, and if they'd listened to him, there sure would have been all these guys available to play in the playoffs. LeBron James. We get the news, or at least sources tell us, that we've got a ball as our rookie of the year. Guess what? It's my game, and I dictate how I want my balls to be rubbed up. (laughs) That's right. You've earned that. Honestly, I I think when it comes to the NBA today, it's safe to say... This place has everything. Brooms, scrunchies, screw heads, a shaved lion that looks like Mario Batali. Honestly, if you told me today that Mario Batali was in the NBA, I would believe you. I would believe that somehow, some way, a team got to the bottom of the roster and they looked and they said, Mario, we're going to need you. Fitz, what the hell happened at the NBA today? It feels like one of the more chaotic days than we've seen in ages. And looking at just the immediate impact, again, you know, it feels like every day right now we're talking about sort of the war of attrition and everybody that's not available in the playoffs. And that that trend continues now as we're going to have yet another All-Star missing time from, with Kawhi. And we have no idea what that means or how long he'll be out yet. But it doesn't look good. It feels like they're done. I, I can't see the Clippers getting through this. I just keep looking around thinking whoever wins this thing at the end is just going to be whoever can put healthy bodies on the basketball court. Like you and I might be playing in the NBA Finals. <laughs> I can see me, but definitely not you. Mario Batali first. I'll be loud First Mario Batali and then you. Um, it's it's brutal, Fitz. We've talked about the injuries throughout. And, you know, I think our, our buddy Gojo said today, shame on us for thinking we might get to watch some basketball with the Stars playing. I mean, it, it's we went to sleep last night reveling in what Kevin Durant was able to pull off with a little bit of James Harden facilitating, but for the most part, James Harden slowing him down and the Bucks not taking advantage of that. We went to sleep after that game thinking to ourselves, let's just talk about the basketball, right? We got KD out here doing things we've never seen before. We've got a Bucks team doing things we've seen them do many times before. Mm. Unfortunately, we want to pull our hair out about it. And you wake up, and instead of having the conversations about the game or even about tonight's game and the questions surrounding Embiid, instead we're slapped in the face with the CP3 news. This is a guy who fits... I think we had already had that gasp of not again, not CP3. He fights through that stinger and that injury, has an incredible series. They get the sweep, and we're thinking this might finally be the year he's getting the respect that he's looking for. And now we hear COVID positive. Jalen Rose was on Get Up today and did put a bit of a a better spin on this than we, we, we thought at first. Unlike Kawhi, this one isn't doom and gloom for me. 
because they're off this week. He's already been vaccinated. And I know the word indefinitely makes you feel like he may not be in the next series. I don't anticipate him missing more than one game at the most, just based on the dynamics of time and how the protocol has worked. Yeah, Fitz, you you have to say indefinite with COVID because there's no guarantee on how it will affect him or how long he will be testing positive for it. But the fact that he's vaccinated was a huge piece of news because when it first hit and we all wondered if he hadn't been, that's much more serious and likely to keep him out longer. Well, and we're at this spot now to the point that Gojo made about not getting to see stars. At this point, Kawhi will be the eighth all-star to miss a playoff game this year. Mm. That's the most in a season in NBA history. And that doesn't include sort of whatever happens moving forward with CP3, obviously. But, you know, just Kawhi going down, that means we've lost. So when you start thinking about Anthony Davis, Kawhi, Harden, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley. I mean, this list is epic, and they're all video game sort of players. They're not just good players. They're epic players that define the way we view the NBA right now. So to see this continue throughout the course of the season and now now see COVID impacting uh, CP3, it's just sort of the kick in the no-no places that reminds us that we're not in the clear. Not everything isn't easy at this point, and there still is protocol and risk for everybody involved that could impact future series. They're lucky that there's a break right now, presuming he can get back quickly. Because if this were a tighter schedule, if this was in the middle of a series or, God forbid, the NBA Finals, I mean, he'd just have to face it, missing right? games. That's staggering to think about. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Fitz, for some reason, as you're listing off all the all-stars that have been affected by injury and, and the seriousness I couldn't help, and this is very mean, but think how frustrating it must be for the Denver Nuggets. And I know that they lost Jamal Murray midseason, but Jokic was healthy. He just wasn't on the court as they got their butts beat. And one of the most unceremonious waves we've ever seen an MVP season ended in the NBA. Um, But yeah, I mean, you look at these teams finding ways to get by with injury, like the Nets, like the Clippers, like you know, the Suns and, well, and Sarah, that, that makes the bucks even more inexcusable because they don't have absolutely like they're, they're just healthy. like, yeah, they're just like the nuggets. It's like, get your, you know what together. You don't, <laughs> you don't have that excuse. And your point about COVID is a valid one. I think during the, the peak of the pandemic or even earlier in the season, especially in the colder weather, there was always this thought of worst case scenario. Look back at say the NCAA tournament and you've got, um, why am I blanking on her name? I think I'm so afraid of her that she uh, scared me into forgetting her name. The coach who said, you know, we should just stop testing just in case anyone gets it. Um, you know, there was a real fear that some massive, important, you know, thing could be affected by a player not being available. And, you know, that's going to happen now when we suddenly feel like, yeah, Kim Mulkey, thank Kim you. Mulkey, when, yeah. We suddenly feel like we're out of this, or at least we're more in the clear. You know, Kim Mulkey saying that back in in March, and we're saying, you can't just stop testing, and we were fine. No one got it. No one tested positive. Everything's good. To get it now, and for it to be CP3, the luck of it all. I mean, you're right. How how fortuitous is it that the Suns finished that series quickly enough, and he could maybe only miss a game or even less? My only hope through all of this is that we get the opportunity, really, as an overall media and as basketball fans everywhere, 
to spend more time looking at some of the rising talent. Like Donovan Mitchell gets a little more shine. You know, Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton get a little more shine from Phoenix. And you, you start to look across the board. That's been my only hope is that we would see this rise of new talent that would energize people because it's a very unpredictable year. But I have no idea what qualifiers we should or will be putting around whatever champion we eventually get this year because I'm certainly looking around the landscape saying I feel like everybody's just holding on for dear life saying, good God, just as long as it's not us, whatever's next, hopefully we can survive it. That's what it feels like at this point in the NBA playoffs. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, massive day of news in the NBA. We're going to get into all of it a little bit more, including some questions I have about CP3. Are there unvaccinated teammates, right? And if that's the case and anybody else had it or someone that they're with, I don't know. I just it, there's, there's a lot of question marks about this that I think are going to cause conversation in the locker room, including what the latest news in the NFL is regarding unvaccinated players. We'll get to all of that later, but coming up, we are going to take some time to look at that epic performance from KD last night and get you set for a crucial game five coming up in just a couple minutes. It's ESPN radio, Spain and Fitz. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. I didn't need to be reminded, but some of y'all did. And I'm not saying that I'm better than you. I'm just saying that I have never let frustrations with Kevin Durant's choice of team or burner accounts or sensitivity or anything else cloud my ability to see his ability. And if you are surprised by what happened, I'll refer you to last night's show and last yesterday's Around the Horn when Fitch, you recall me saying, Kevin Durant can beat this Bucks team by himself, especially if the Bucks buck, which they did. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80, it's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. You heard some of the sounds of last night on ESPN Radio. Kevin Durant's stat line, just unfathomable, the, the least of which is the 48 minutes that he played every minute of the game to get those 49 points, 17 rebounds, 10 assists, three steals, two blocks, to shoot 13 of 16 from the free throw line, 16 of 23 from the field. He put this team on his back and with a hobbled halfway Harden dropped a Bucks team that did all the things fits that I warned they couldn't. Giannis let them dictate what kind of game he was playing. Coach Bud, what are you doing? You got a half Harden out there and you are not going at him? Totally misusing Brooke Lopez. Pushing the ball down the stretch when you want one last possession? I mean, the IQ on this team fits. It made me want to scream, and they're not even my squad, although I have admitted them being my side piece before. I found myself yelling at the TV so often at the number of times that different people on the Bucks were showing the worst side of themselves, and I'll include Giannis on this. I mean, at some point, you have to look mm. at it. We all know his, his limitations, but those limitations came out so hard in this game, and what I saw was one player on one end that simply couldn't be stopped. And the number of times that KD would pull up from wherever he chose and he would turn around and just sink a shot with somebody in his face. And what continues to haunt me even now, 24 hours later, is this image of KD hitting a huge shot and the next trip down the floor, a Giannis underneath the basket needs to get it in. The pass is beautiful and he just drops the ball down by four with about 30 seconds left on a bucket Milwaukee had to have. And there was this moment where I'm looking at one side with KD being so intense and being so intent on the court, so unstoppable. And then he flipped to 
the other side where it felt like everything Giannis tried to do was too hard. And I kept looking at that thinking, there's a difference today. Today we are reminded that as good as Giannis is, and as much as you know I love Giannis Antetokounmpo, KD is just in a completely different league. And I don't know what gets Giannis there, but he is not there today. Well, a huge part of it is the basketball IQ, Fitz. You were you were still thinking about and tossing and turning over that dropped pass, which was huge. I don't know if he was stressing already about getting fouled and thinking about the free throws that he'd have to make. I don't know if he was in a rush to make the move to the basket before fully catching the ball. That was bothersome to me, too. But not as bothersome as a baseline fadeaway jumper mm. over James Harden on one leg. A guy who's not known for his defense in the first place, although it's certainly improved but who cannot physically move, spent the entire game around the perimeter, barely moving, and you don't challenge him at all? You let him push you away from the basket to a baseline jumper that you miss? That, to me, and and on the opposite side of the court, as much as he may not be the best perimeter defender and the guy who should be on KD, you have to want a shot at that when you're a two-time MVP, when you're the leader of this team, you have to want to be in on that, and you have to double KD. Let someone else beat you, Coach Bud. Like Watching that game was so infuriating, while at the same time you had the chance to, to enjoy KD just doing incredible things. And Fitz, I do not see any chance for this Bucks team to now win this series because that would require them to win a Game 7 on the Brooklyn Nets home court with KD on the floor. So unless he's injured... He is not letting them beat him. You know, it's funny. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Again, we saw sort of Coach Bud do what he's maddeningly done over the last couple of years and get so dug in that it seems like he's not adapting to whatever's there in front of him. We saw Giannis show his limitations when it came to decision-making and to shooting. We also saw no holes in KD's game. And, you know, it's so – you mentioned wanting to be on him. I wanted somebody on Milwaukee other than Tucker – to have this desperate intensity to, to everything that was happening. And it just never translated. Yeah. I mean, as much as KD's face has become a meme for that intensity he had yesterday, I was watching it thinking there's one person on this court that looks like a man possessed that mm-hmm. will not allow himself to be stopped. And Giannis didn't, not only didn't match his play on the court, he didn't match his energy on the court. And that's the thing that is just absolutely dumbfounding to me. Well, and it's conflict that we have because we love Giannis. He's incredibly likable. He's easy to root for. If he was on your team and in your city, you would be so happy that that's the superstar you get. Agreeable, hardworking, only cares about hoops and family. But you're right. We're looking for the killer instinct, and we haven't been able to find it. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. And that's the Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. As we watched Harden out there last night trying to give it a go, there were a lot of differing opinions, right? Some people were holding him up for his bravery and his toughness and his willingness to put himself out there for his squad, despite the fact that his performance was incredibly limited. He still provided enough of a decoy and facilitated well enough and was not challenged at all defensively to make them pay for (laughs) keeping him out there for that long, for the billionth time. Um, But it does have you thinking about the challenge that's going to happen tonight for the Sixers. Joel Embiid has a partially torn uh, meniscus. This is something he can play through, but as we saw, particularly over the second half of the last game, it's incredibly painful. He doesn't have much lift and much bounce, and he still was able to get 21 rebounds, be an important part of that team. But what does this mean for his long-term prognosis, his ability to heal, 
business decisions for him as an athlete and as someone looking for paychecks in the future? And what does this mean for the Sixers knowing that they are nothing without Embiid? Well, I think it's difficult for the Sixers because where we can look at Harden and say, okay, Harden was a shell of himself. They have a KD. I mean, in every possible way, Embiid is the KD for this team. Like, I just don't think it's reasonable to expect Ben Simmons to suddenly become this efficient offensive scorer that can pick up the slack there. And as much as I like Tobias Harris, I don't know how much more you can expect from him. So this isn't Robin going down. This is Batman being limited. And that's a much different conversation. We saw how great in, in that same partner with the Nets, we saw that hey, you can have a lesser version of Robin as long as your Batman is at the best version of himself. I just don't feel like that's something that's realistic for Philly. So they're going to have to find some creative ways to generate offense because without Embiid, I don't know, without Embiid being 100% of himself offensively, I don't know what to expect for this team. Head coach Doc Rivers talked about his level of concern for Embiid continuing to go out there, especially with only a day off per games. No, I I have no more. Uh, I really don't. Listen, uh, we walk on the floor, we're good, you know, and – we wouldn't put Joel out there if he couldn't play. You know, obviously, he's not going to be exactly what he was all the time uh, with the injury. Uh, but I'll take what we have. So I, I have no concern. I will say this much. The Sixers should have won that game despite Embiid being hobbled. If you remember, the Hawks shot 39% from the field. Trey Young was cold as hell until the second half when he started to pick up. Still got 25 points, but shot 8 for 28. This was a bunch of letdowns and breakdowns by Philadelphia, including a mental breakdown. If they can get Embiid effective enough, I think they're okay. And listen, there were times in the regular season when Ben Simmons was out there dominating. He just needs to step up his game. And it, a lot of it is, is is how the Hawks game plan for Simmons and prevent him from the doing th- the things he does well and limit him because he does have these massive holes in his game. At some point, this series feels like it's defined by each team at their worst in every game. Can you survive whatever that right. moment of your worst is? And we've seen both teams struggle to do that at times. So it's almost like rather than just capturing momentum, it's eliminating the times when you've lost momentum that's the key to whoever wins each game. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Coming up, we'll get you some thoughts on the coaching changes that we heard about today, including uh, some uh, some serious issues uh, with with uh, – wide openings and and superstars. What do you do with those spaces when you don't want to waste any more time with a superstar coach? Also, CP3, the latest on his situation. We'll talk to a former NBA exec about all of that. It's coming up next, ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and SiriusXM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance And all of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah, we're going to head straight to the Goodyear Hotline because there is so much, as you just heard there, so much NBA news going on today. We're going to get some help breaking it all down. We're joined by John Hollinger, the Athletic Senior NBA Columnist. You can check out the podcast, Hollinger and Duncan, NBA Show Podcast. Uh, John, thanks for the time, man. Appreciate you joining us. You tweeted earlier, slow news day, but we managed to bang out a show. I, yeah, I think it's been an interesting day in the NBA. So of everything that hit today, what was the most eyebrow-raising moment for you in today's news? Uh Probably uh, the the Kawhi news, I mean, has to be the biggest story because that directly affects who might win the championship this year. And that one really came out of left field. I mean, people knew that he, you know, it set out the end of that game uh, with maybe something bothering his knee, but the game wasn't that close. It seemed kind of precautionary. 
And now all of a sudden it's like, no, actually he might be out for the rest of the playoffs. <laughs> and so that obviously is a massive blow to the Clippers and really opens the door for uh, some other teams. Yeah, well, we heard it was the other knee, right? He had been suffering from issues with the left knee. That's the one that kept popping up on the injury report as, as sore or, or having issues before. And, man, it didn't seem like they could identify an incident during the game where that would have happened. Were you surprised to hear that it could be a full ACL tear? Yeah, although, I mean, from the sound of it, it's it's probably like a, a partial tear rather than a full-blown thing. Because a yeah. full-blown ACL tear, you usually <laughs> that's like that one's pretty much obvious. But when it's, uh, when it's something more uh, subtle, a sprain or a strain, however they want to define it, where it's more of a partial tear, uh, then it's not quite the type of thing where you, you, know, you hear a popping sound and all of a sudden your leg's bending funny. So uh, I, I, think, I think because of that, uh, that, that I guess I'm not totally surprised. I mean, I guess there was one incident where there was some contact with the Utah player where that, where that might have happened. But that's a huge blow. I mean, it just changes the whole picture in the West. So, John, how do you manage these things? Because we're looking at it the same sort of conversation with Embiid tonight and the decision to play him. I mean, you were with the, the Grizzlies as a VP of basketball operations. If you're in a playoff series, you got a guy, you realize putting him out there could be a long-term detriment, but you need him to win a series right now. How do you find balance? Well, the other factor in that is that it's not your decision alone. I mean, the player has agency in this, and usually the player really wants to play and on the management side, you kind of have to be like, okay, easy, easy Tiger, like, let's, let's talk about this. Um, but, you know, we, we had a situation, obviously, in, in Memphis where, you know, Mike Conley basically played with a, with a broken face. And, and uh, it, was a, it was a question of pain management, one, but also uh, just really going over what were the risks and the rewards, for, you know, for us as a franchise and for him as a player, and his career, and I mean, in that situation, at least wasn't like a, you know, if it's a knee or an ankle, uh, that's a much, or a foot, that's a much different situation, uh, I guess, because it's so, it's integral to your, you know, existence as a basketball player, and the the chances of re-injury while playing are probably greater, uh, but it's it's definitely a really tricky situation. I mean, at any time of year, it's tricky when you're dealing with a player who wants to play, and there's an injury situation where you have to say, you know what, maybe you shouldn't. But I think it's two or three times that in the playoffs because that's what all these guys live for. Yeah, not to mention when you've got Kevin Durant on the court next to Harden as the perfect cautionary tale uh, right on that same team of what can sometimes happen. John Hollinger of The Athletic is with a senior NBA columnist, also the co-host of Hollinger and Duncan NBA Show podcast, former NBA exec. And let's talk about the executive side of things. A lot of coach openings, including – Two today that came up in Stan Van Gundy out after a season with the Pelicans and um, Scott Brooks in Washington parting ways. Also, Don Nelson, after 24 years, is out with the Mavs. Let's start with uh, Stan Van. I mean, it's one season. A lot of people were critical of the way he handled that team. Is this just basically we don't want to waste any time with the superstar in Zion and, and give him more time to figure it out? Well, I think it was that, and I think the relationship between Stan and the front office had gone sideways, too. Um, you know, a lot of times you'll see – teams hold their fire in the off season. And then what happens is the next season, they get off to a rough start and they end up making a coaching change and going with an interim coach. And they look back and say, well, why didn't we do, just do this in the off season? And so you can respect the Pelicans getting in front of it uh, that way. Uh, it was a little bit of a surprise just because their season ended a month ago. 
And usually when you see a coaching change like that, it's very shortly after the season ended. I mean, uh, the paint had hardly dried on Portland season, right? When they announced that Terry Stotts was, was going to be gone. So uh, in, in this case, I think the timing was a little bit of a surprise, but there was, there were definitely rumblings out of New Orleans all year that, that the, the whole relationship wasn't going well and parting away might be the best path. I mean, with that being said, though, John, like now you're talking about yet another coach coming into Zion. At some point, does continuity matter at all for young stars as they're growing in the league? Well, yeah, and I think it matters for David Griffin now, too, who's the, you know, the GM there. I mean, he, he came in with Alvin Gentry, gave him an extension, and then fired him. Now he's firing Stan Van Gundy after a year. I think he's got one more shot at this, probably. You, there are very few GMs who get to hire three coaches. So uh, I, th- I, think, I think he's got to get this one right for, for the sake of Zion's career uh, and for his, for his own longevity. Let's talk about the Teresa Witherspoon, Becky Hammond, Don Staley, like so much louder this conversation about them getting interviews, particularly because of Witherspoon's relationship with Zion, um, because Hammond's name has been floating around for a while. Do we think we're actually at the point where this hire could happen, or are we merely at the point where there's very serious consideration, and in the end, GMs will say, ah, oh, we're just not sure if a players are ready for it? Well, I, I think we're definitely at the point where they're all going to get interviews. Um, I think uh, if a hire happens, actually, it might be a name you didn't mention, which would be Kara Lawson uh, in Boston. Uh, I think I think a lot of people are, are uh, pr- pretty bullish on her and her knowledge of the game, and, and yeah. the Celtics are familiar with her already. So that could be an interesting one to watch. Uh, but, you know, Dawn Staley went to Virginia, so she's obviously the best candidate. <laughs> Despite the brand new gig that it would be tough for her to get out of. She seems pretty invested there, but yeah. <laughs> so, John, one of the other changes that's out there, Donnie Nelson leaving the Mavs, it's just weird, and let's say it that way, the timing on it, as The Athletic had an article a few days ago that was really well done uh, talking about some of the behind-the-scenes rifts between uh, you know Luka Doncic and the front office and some of the personalities there. Now Donnie's gone. So, like, what are we supposed to make of what that all means for what's happening behind the scenes with the Mavericks? Well, that that actually really surprised me um, because Mark Cuban has had a Nelson in charge of his basketball operation for the entire quarter century or whatever that he's, that he's owned the Mavericks. And so now he's uh, going out into uncharted waters a little bit. So th- this will be an interesting new era for for Dallas. And there, there were a lot of reports of, uh, you know, disharmony in the front office. There was another uh, guy that uh, there named Bob Fulgaris that Cuban had been leaning on. Uh, his future there, I think, is also uh, un- unresolved at the moment. And so we'll see what happens there. It's a, it's a really interesting situation there. And it's interesting because whoever ends up, uh, you know, captaining that ship, has some really important decisions coming up right away. Uh, they have cap room. They have Tim Hardaway Jr.'s free agency. They have to figure out uh, whether they want to go forward with Chris Stapp's Porzingis or if they want to go in a new direction there. They have some really important franchise-level decisions to make within the next 6 to 12 months. So it's going to be a really interesting time for whoever, whoever in, inherits that. I mean, they've got, they got to make some tough choices right away. 
Hey, John, real quick, you know, uh, we saw that rant from LeBron James today on Twitter. Of course, we've all been having conversations about the injuries and the fact that, you know, the four top teams in last year's bubble championship are are no longer with us in these postseason games. Uh, what do you think about what LeBron had to say? And is it as clear cut as, as he's making it out to be? Well, I mean, there were huge financial repercussions to starting the season later. And I think the the issue was if you're going to play full seasons and get the, or even somewhat full seasons and get the NBA back onto its former timeline in some reasonable frame of years, whether it's two or three or whatever, you have to accord in the off season because that's the only place you can take time from. And especially with, players not wanting to have too grueling an in-season schedule. You know, we don't want four and fives or five and sevens anymore uh, like we used to have. So because of that, I mean, you you have to take that time from someplace. It has to come from the off-season. There's nowhere else to take it from. So the only alternative was to play a massively shorter schedule, which monetarily would have been bad for players and owners, which is why they agreed to this. You guys can follow him on Twitter, at John Hollinger. You can read him on The Athletic, of course, and check out Hollinger and Duncan NBA Show podcast. John, really appreciate your expertise and your insight, my friend. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. All right. Thanks for having me. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Small business protection just got easier. That's right. More than 30 coverage options available. Progressive's got you covered. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Coming up, did Major League Baseball's recent rule changes cost them one of their brightest young stars? We'll answer it next. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, and Sirius XM Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Major League Baseball has decided to crack down on using sticky stuff, substances on Major League Baseballs, and that's starting uh, Monday. So it's resulted in pitchers changing the way they're approaching it right away, and that has resulted, Sarah, in some controversy as Tyler Glasnow, the Rays pitcher, has made it clear he thinks that it causes the detriment. This is what he said about going cold turkey with using any substances and why he thinks it is what caused his injury. My like substance of choice is sunscreen and rosin. Like just nothing agrees to something to where I can get a grip on the ball so it doesn't feel dusty. But two starts ago against the Nationals, I went cold turkey, nothing. I don't use sticky stuff. to. I don't use spider tack. I don't need more spin. I, I have huge hands. I spin the ball fine. I want grip. I did well against the Nationals, probably one of the best starts I had all year. I woke up the next day and was like, I am sore in places that I didn't even know I had muscles in. Like I felt completely different. I switched my fastball grip and my curveball grip. I've thrown it the same way for however many years I've played baseball. I had to change. I had to put my fastball deeper into my hand and grip it way harder. And I had to, instead of holding my curveball at the tip of my fingers, I had to dig it deeper into my hand. So I'm like choking the shit all my pitches. Waking up after that start, I was like, okay, this sucks. Something is, is weird here. And then that same feeling is persisting all week long. And then I go into my start yesterday and that same feeling just, it pops or whatever the hell happened to my elbow. Like I feel it. Something happens. And I, I'm, I'm sitting out there just like, you got to. I mean, whether you want us to not use sticky stuff or not is, is, is fine. Fine. Do it in the off season. Give us a chance to adjust to it. But I just threw 80 something, 70, whatever innings. And then you just told me I can't use anything in the middle of the year. I had to change everything I've been doing the entire season, everything out of the window. I have to start doing something completely new. And then I'm telling you, I truly believe that's why I got hurt. Me throwing a hundred and being six, seven is why I got hurt, but that contributed. 
Now, Tyler wasn't done talking about the timing of it because he thinks it's important that the timing of the switch is part of what's caused all this. This is what he said. They don't understand how hard it is to pitch one, but to tell us to do something completely different in the middle of a season is insane. And I'm sitting here, my lifelong dream, I want to go out and win a Cy Young, I want to be an all-star, and then now it's all just shit because I, like, now it's over. Now, Sarah, before we give our thoughts on this, let's get a little perspective from Tom Glavin. Hall of Fame pitcher was, was on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin and talked about the point overall and the way he sees Glasnow's complaint. I can empathize with Tyler's point. Um, you know, I, on the one hand, I find it a little bit hard to believe that a guy who's been pitching for this long, playing baseball for this long, now all of a sudden got hurt because he wasn't able to use some sort of substance on his hand uh, to get a grip, a better grip of the baseball. I mean, to me, that's that's a little bit hard to understand. I'm, I'm, I'm not discrediting what he says. If he, I can't argue with how he feels, right? But I mean, we all we all grew up learning how to pitch without having some sticky substance on our hand that helped us pitch. Now, the other side of that, I 100% agree with him uh, that I think it's it's a little bit. Um, I don't know what the word I would use is, but. You know, I think it's it's a little bit problematic that in the middle of the season, now you're going to completely change the rules. Um, you know, clearly baseball knew this was going on to some extent. Sarah, what drives me crazy is that they're not changing the rules. They're enforcing rules that have been in existence for a hundred years, for almost a century, Rule 3.01 says you can't damage or discolor the ball, and Rule 6.02 says you can't otherwise alter or apply substances to the ball. It's existed for a hundred years. They didn't change anything. They're just enforcing it. Yeah, you know that meme of the girl who's trying kombucha, and she's like, mm-mm. <laughs> like, everyone knows what I'm talking about. It's the girl's face, and she's like, not sure, no. That is me, back and forth, back and forth over here, because my first response was, F you, don't cheat, right? F you, don't cheat. You can't complain about something that has been the rule the entirety of your life, not just your career, your life, times 10, times 20, times 30, however many years, like you just pointed out. But I also think what Glavin said is true. You've never pitched without substance, right? If you felt a tug or a pull, like he said, if you, every time you pitched, felt a little tug on your elbow, said you felt a pull every time I threw, mentally, you might be telling yourself, it's because I'm not allowed to use this crutch that I'm used to. But mentally, you should also be saying, then let me take myself out and see if it's an injury and not just a new motion or a new feeling because I have to grip and dig my hands into the pitches more. I look, I look at all that and I think, okay, we've now taken this causation and correlation issue and I don't think that you can with any certainty, say that you got injured because you couldn't use your sunscreen and rosin. That being said, he's uncommonly honest, Fitz. He's not giving us a 20-minute answer like we got from Garrett Cole. He's not peeing on us and telling us it's raining. He's telling us, this is what I like to use. This is how long I've used it. This is what happened when I didn't, and now I'm mad. And it should probably happen in the offseason. This is on MLB for not enforcing this rule forever, for seeing the way it's now affecting the game in that pitchers are more dominant than we've ever seen before, that the three true outcomes are harder to be clear, and that it's it's changing the game in ways they don't like. Guess who's responsible for that? You, because you didn't feel like enforcing this rule all along. So start at midseason. I understand why they're mad. 
I, I didn't before, Fitz, but now I, I get it. If this really is something that you could say every single pitch you had some bit of that or the ball was different, to do it in the middle of the season, that's a lot. Yeah, I'm not saying it's not a lot to do it in the middle of the season, and I do agree with you in that general concept, but there's also some portion of this to me that, that you've got to look at it and say, okay, at the end of the day, the rule has existed. Now, I, uh, true story, got a speed ticket, a speeding ticket one time in Nashville. I was going downhill. I was going three miles over, and I got a speeding ticket for it. And when the cop pulled me over, I was like, I'm going three miles over. And the cop says, yeah, three miles over. So you're breaking the law. And when I went to court on the ticket, the judge was like, guilty or innocent? And I'm like, innocent? I was only going three over. And he's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's guilty. And he hit the hammer. So, like, I understand that Lame. sometimes the, uh, the application of the rule can be absolutely asinine. I understand that. But the rule exists. So what, what bothers me through all of this is that, yes, Major League Baseball probably could have found a better way to tell everybody we're going to start enforcing this. But through it all, this rule has existed for a reason for a very long time. So if they see a problem, I mean, at some point you've got to turn around and say, hey, let's get it fixed. And if it's going to, in their mind, become a, a larger conversation all year long that eclipses the game, then why not get ahead of it? We're always telling baseball, hey, have some you-know-whats and get ahead of issues when you need to. Well, it feels like that's what they did this time, sir. No, nah, if they got ahead of it, they would have done it 100 years ago or 50 or 25 or at the beginning of this season, because there was a lot of conversation about this last year, too. And I think that's the problem, is baseball getting in its own way over and over again, even in this moment, when I agree that you should crack down on the cheating, when I agree that your decision not to follow up on rules muddies the water and makes it so much more complicated than it needs to be. But so does changing it mid-season, right? It just, it, it just feels asinine to me, to your point. Yeah, and, and you're you're right. This is a lose-lose situation. Pitchers are going to have to adjust. I'm really genuinely interested to see what it does to the game for the back half of the season, too, and how many other pitchers come out and speak loudly. I mean, if they changed it once, certainly they could change it back if they need to. That's one thing that we can learn from all of this. All right, we want to get you caught up on the game going on, plus some big news in the NBA that relates to some issues the NFL is going to be facing this fall, too. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. The list of players not available for the NBA playoffs could make their own super team. And that list got a little bigger today. But one name particularly isn't just about not being available. It's about what it means for the rest of the playoffs and really for the entire sports landscape as we look at it. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests tonight are going to join us on the Goodyear Hotline and Sarah, Chris Paul, CP3, has had a incredible year this year for Phoenix that has been fun to watch and fun to talk about and fun to document. But unfortunately, now he finds himself in the COVID protocols uh, because uh, at this point, it's still part of the reality of the NBA. So we don't know the details of when he'll be out. It says indefinitely. That's all we know. Uh, but there are, according to multiple people that uh, know him and have been around him, he is vaccinated. And that leads to some question of when he'll be available and what the protocol looks like. This is what Rachel Nichols said on the jump about the process for CP3 at this point. Let's go through what happens next, right? Yeah. This is for any player in the NBA. If they test positive for COVID, they then go into quarantine. And what happens is they have to either go through 10 days of quarantine 
or if they can produce two negative tests within 24 hours, they then leave quarantine. But the next step is they go into cardiac testing. And because you have to have two cardiac tests a certain amount of time apart from each other, that is usually a two-day process. Now, could he finish his second test and then play later that day? That kind of just depends on the logistics of timing. But we have to remember that's an extra thing after he gets out of quarantine. The Western Conference Finals would start maybe this Sunday if the Clippers Jazz Series ends in six, or they would start Tuesday if that other series goes to seven. And, Sarah, and that's where the other thing comes into play, right? You know the Suns are thinking, man, Kawhi, we need you. We need <laughs> you to not let this series get, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's it's a complicated situation. Like you said, several people now have said that um, that this is a, a vaccinated player, which, which maybe makes the timeline shorten. Um, but... Uh, there are so many questions now about how he got it. I mean, we saw him walk into the crowd and hug his family after the win the other night. Was it just getting lazy or, or getting a little bit too comfortable because a lot of things are opening up? It's, 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 it's a nice feeling to be vaccinated and know that you are far less likely to get it, but it is not impossible. It's also a strange time to figure out what it means for everybody else because there, there's just information we don't have yet and we won't have for uh, probably a little while, but what does it mean for contact tracing for anybody he's been around? Has everybody else been vaccinated? Like this opens a whole can of worms for the organization as a whole, trying to figure out what is the right thing within the health and safety protocols to make sure that they've got a team they can field, but ultimately that they're doing it in the right way. Like there's just so many unknowns and it's a, it's sort of a gut punch reminder that we are still in the middle of COVID-19, even though it starts to feel sometimes like the world's more normal. These are, this is part of the new normal of being a professional athlete. By the way, before you, uh, uh, before you move on from just Paul to, you have to ask yourself, are there any, close contacts in the team that might also be affected, maybe even ones that aren't vaccinated. And then the question is, how much longer is their time spent out and how much more severe is the result? Um, we're we're going to get into a lot of this now, Fitz, because the cities are opening up. The stadiums are opening up. There are so many rules being made because of the number of vaccinated people that it feels much more anomalous now to have a player who isn't. This is a conversation that's going on here in Chicago at a high decibel after Anthony Rizzo admitted to not being vaccinated. And we start hearing the names of other players and the GM is very openly talking about how frustrated he is to not have hit the threshold to lessen protocols. I can imagine how they feel like the best ability in sports is availability. And the idea that Whatever your thought is on the vaccination, you would be willing to go against the word of experts, scientists, and the millions of people vaccinated and put at risk something that you've worked your whole life for. And if indeed, and everybody's saying so, Chris Paul is vaccinated, that's just terrible luck. But if someone else on the team isn't and takes themselves out or perhaps gave it to him, we haven't heard about it yet, right? Um, it's pretty complicated. These conversations going on in the locker rooms have got to be pretty sticky. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. And look, it's not just an NBA issue. I, I think it's interesting. The NFL today uh, put out a memo to teams that explains the protocol for vaccinated or not fully vaccinated individuals. And I'm telling y'all, like, it is staggering how many different protocols are in place. For example, if your team is fully vaccinated, there's no capacity limits in the weight room when all are fully vaccinated. 
If your team is not fully vaccinated, there's a 15-player limit in the weight room. That means you're having to change your entire training schedule with everybody to figure out what happens. If you're fully vaccinated, you can eat in the cafeteria with other fully vaccinated individuals. If you're not, you can't. Like It's all of these little things that come into play. Plus, realistically, for vaccinated people that are trying out, free agents that want to be put on teams, if they are fully vaccinated, they are available to try out and join the team immediately. If they're not... There's a five-day waiting period while they go through testing. So you start to look at all of that, and it changes what every team has to do in their preparation if people choose not to get the vaccine. So at some point, it's not even just about personal decision. It's about competitive advantage within that personal decision. Oh, it's already at that point. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's already at that point. I was saying this last week. How mad would you be if you're looking up at Wrigley and all the fans are in the stands drinking their beer, hugging, hanging out, and you're sitting in the dugout figuring out to put your mask on and off and to get X and Y done because your team hasn't gotten together enough to let you move into the next phase. I can't imagine the mindset on it. And in a world where athletes are so particular about getting any competitive advantage they can get, if there's something that makes it more difficult for your team than another team, I don't, I I can't imagine what that's like in a locker room. Well, and again, Fitz, you know, to your point about they're 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 doing anything and everything for their body, and some would say, well, then I understand why they'd be worried about a, an unknown vaccine. Except for we know that COVID has killed 3.82 million people. We also know that in every single major vaccine, most of the outlying symptoms or bad reactions are going to come within the first two weeks. There have been millions and millions and millions of people, and bad reactions are extremely rare. So again, who is educating them? on the risks that they're taking because they're choosing the wrong side of that. They're choosing the far riskier thing that could not only kill them, but if it doesn't kill them, have extremely deleterious long-term effects that we've heard about, including professional athletes on inhalers or not able to walk up the stairs. How are they choosing the thing that according to every expert is much safer and better for you? It's maddening to think about what these conversations are like within a locker room also. Because what every person decides will, in fact, impact all of their teammates. You know, it's already such a close-knit group of people that are, you know, at some point, everybody's going to let everybody be their own adult. I understand that. But not when it's changing what everybody has to do day in and day out. When it changes the process for other players involved in it, it just feels like these are the sorts of things that can rip a locker room apart. It can rip an organization apart. These are the, the, the moments that if teams are not on the same page from the beginning, from the absolute beginning, I don't know how you hold everybody together because right. the, the, it's pages of restrictions that are different in the NFL uh, depending on your vaccination well, status and the standards that teams will be held to depending on how many players within their locker room are vaccinated. And think about the extra work that is for a team. To have to, what are you putting a bracelet on all of them to remember who's who and who's allowed to do what? And then you've got a whole bunch of teammates going to a nightclub or a bar and then some of you can't go. You have a whole bunch of teammates eating together. Now you've created a divide in the locker room. All sorts of entertainment things that you want to get back to doing that if you get caught, you're in trouble, but your other teammates aren't. I mean, man, it just makes things really messy and much more difficult, in my opinion, for coaches and front office folks and staff to keep all the guys together and keep straight all the different rules and regulations. I always think back to what Mike Golick Jr. said years ago. He's like, when you're a fringe guy on a roster, you want to make sure nobody on your team has to answer questions for you or about you. And you just think about that mindset yes. and how much mm-hmm. difficult, more difficult it is 
for for so many players in locker rooms to figure it out. Uh, we'll keep you updated on the information as it comes out, but it's something to keep an eye on no matter what your favorite sport is. It's not gone away. It's still part of day-in and day-out life for all of these athletes. But coming up, are we finally on the brink of history in the NBA? We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Don't forget, subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. If you're sitting there trying to figure out, are we on, are we not on, is the NBA on, because ESPN Radio is the home for so much great NBA action. I get it. Well, you can answer the question easily by just checking out the podcast. All of our guests, by the way, join us on the Goodyear Hotline ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive's Home Insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. Speaking of Progressive, you like that that, that segue Nailed there, sir? Uh, thank you. Uh, so, look, every, I feel like every year we have – a conversation about the NBA and what feels like a willingness, uh, a, a preparedness at some point to add a female head coach in the NBA. But it's not always that simple uh, as it's going to take the right spot and it's going to take the right environment. Now, this year particularly, there are a lot of openings and those openings aren't just good they're great, in fact. You can take a look across the board and see that five of the six openings currently have 2021 NBA All-Stars on the roster somewhere. So that's huge. And the Orlando Magic, by the way, being the one that don't, but they also have a ton of draft capital. So you could look across the board and say, while there are a ton of openings, many of those openings are good. So the question becomes, is this going to be the year we finally see an organization take the plunge? Because Sarah, I love having the conversation every year about the NBA and the fact that they do value women as potential head coaches. But at what point do we stop having the conversation about potential and start having the conversation about reality? Yeah, and that's what we talked to Hollinger about, right? It is a massive step for these names to immediately pop up and to be getting these interviews. It is a huge step. I remember uh, reading um, they did anonymous interviews with both collegiate and professional coaches in basketball about a variety of topics, one of which was adding women to their staff, not even as a head coach. And some of the dumb answers like, well, we would have to worry about our language. First of all, if you mean swearing, come over to my house sometime. Oh my okay? God. And I if you mean worse than mom. that, if you mean worse than that, then why is your program full of whatever you're worried about? It can't be good, right? If it's something that you feel like if a woman was around, you would be in big trouble for, what kind of program are you running? Like the answers were so antiquated and as my new favorite word, antediluvian, that it feels like a massive step to even just be having reasonable conversations and for them to get interviews. But I do wonder how big the hump to get over is from seriously considering and then at the last moment saying, mm, if this was blind and this resume said, you know, Buster Hammond or, or Car- Car- uh, what's a, what's a Keith Lawson, then we would absolutely hire her, but we can't. We just don't know if the guys are ready. And that's the thing that is always going to get in the way for me is their perception of the players, which may not even be accurate or fair. I think so much of what you just said about the culture that's created is important when it comes around this conversation. I mean, obviously, I lived many years of my life on a tour bus, and uh, the funny thing is I was nervous, admittedly, the first time I was ever on a tour tour bus that had girls on it because I was sitting there thinking, this is weird. Like, I've always been on a tour bus with a bunch of guys, and it took all of, I don't know, four hours before you realize that it's just the normal 
situation. Like if you're not bad people, then it don't you don't have bad situations. It's just sometimes you got to get used to just something new, something different. And I don't know why there's this wall of when especially so many women have had success as assistant coaches in the NBA. So that being said, earlier today on the Max Kellerman show where I hear they had the single greatest sub host in the history of the show, Ramona Shelburne was on and she was asked by that brilliant <laughs> that brilliant I host, didn't even bring up the cheating and here you are bringing it into our bedroom. I don't know what you're talking about. I just heard that it was a great sub host. His name is Face and Jits. It's totally different. Totally different. Face and Jits. He's a different guy at ESPN. You should check him out. He's really good. Uh, But he asked Ramona about hiring a female head coach and what it would take. I thought her answer was really interesting. I think the the, Teresa Witherspoon um, is a really interesting idea there in New Orleans. Um, She's obviously an incredible player herself, right? If you follow her WNBA career, she was an Olympic career and all that highly regarded she's also highly regarded by zion williamson um i think that's going to be fun to watch play out here because uh i think when you say what does it take well it takes an organization to decide to do that it takes um it takes a general manager to believe this is the best person for the job but it also takes a star it takes a group of stars to say this is what we're going to do this is who i want and this i'll i'll play for her and i'll and i'll look you know i'm going to give everything for her um so I, I think that'll that that's a, that's a fun one to watch. But I, I think this is in my mind, Jace. This is the closest we have come to seeing a, a woman head coach here. Yeah, no, it's sir. certainly the closest. But close, close, but no cigar. I think is what my grandpa used to say. Right. Um, I do think the relationship is huge, and that's why, as many folks have said, it's got to be Becky, Becky Hammond. Her name's been around the longest. She might get leapfrogged simply because. If you have a superstar player like Zion, who has a really close relationship with T. Witherspoon, that could make a huge difference. In fact, earlier this season, before any of this was even an issue, because you know Van Gundy was still the coach there, Malika Andrews did a whole piece during a game about that relationship. Zion told me that Teresa Witherspoon has been integral to his development this season, and he said that sometimes he gets in his head hunting for the absolute perfect shot or wondering if the shot he has open is the shot that the team needs in that moment. And Teaspoon has been a force in getting Zion out of his head and realizing that the trust that this group has built in him, he said that he thought that the only person who could get that kind of reaction from him was his mother and his stepfather until Witherspoon came along. And by the way, that little baseline pull-up that's become a staple of Zion's game, that's a Witherspoon addition too. I, I mean, those are strong points to what it's going to take. And I think really it speaks to what we've talked about a million times that is different in the NBA and growing in other sports cultures. The the, the general concept of game gets game, right? Like the, the respect that comes mm-hmm. from players, no matter their gender, on their abilities and their ability to learn from each other is really when you've got somebody with the power of Zion coming in and saying, okay, this is what I want. If that were to happen, I think that's the sort of moment that breaks the ceiling. I don't know otherwise what it takes for somebody to finally take that plunge because it is a plunge that is going to feel at least different. So you got to explore everything and make sure that you're putting people in the right situation and everybody feels good about it. But realistically, the altruistic meritocracy that I want to exist 
it's easier said than done. I want the best coach, no matter what they look like, no matter where they're from, and no matter what their gender is. I want the best coach to help my team get better. And I think there's no league more prepared to do that than the NBA. I just feel like if every year there's a hiring cycle and every year we think that it's cute that, the, that there's interviews being given, we're essentially just degrading the entire process in my mind. Right. It's very Rooney Rule-esque, right? The coaches right. feel like every year they get run through the gamut to say so they can say that they interviewed the right kind of candidate and then go out and hire someone else worth noting and Spain and Fitz by the way Sarah Spain Jason Fitz on ESPN radio worth noting that Zion's age immediately came to mind for me you have players growing up in a world with a lot more equality you know we're coming up next year on the 50th anniversary of title nine the idea that they have never lived in a world where girls and women were not competing in sports right alongside them for their lives where you know you hear about these young uh, NBA players who look up to Diana Taurasi, right? Who do interviews before the draft about how Diana Taurasi is their favorite player and they look up to her and this is what they've learned from her. It's a whole different ball game than what a lot of these guys grew up with so like socially. And Zion's age is not lost on me in terms of his willingness to listen to a female coach and to learn from her and to respect her. That's huge. Yeah, at the end of the day, I want it to happen because it means so much for so many people. I also want the process to be transparent. And I know that that never happens in hiring. But if I have one hope at this point for the NBA process, it's that when we see women getting opportunities for interviews, we figure out how it's going, what people are looking for, and how to figure out the way to take the next step. Because it feels like this is a really good opportunity in this offseason. There's a lot of big openings. It could be great spots. It's just a matter of finding the right one with the right spot. Uh, All right, coming up next, we've got a killer interview you do not want to miss. Layla Ali going to join us next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Happy to welcome in on the Goodyear Hotline, undefeated four-time world champion boxer, television host, fitness and wellness expert, author, speaker, mother, apparel line, wife, cook, all the things. She does all the things. Everything. Layla Ali is with us here on Spain and Fitz um, in advance of her pre- uh, uh, well, this is a pre-conversation about her Juneteenth Black Business Marketplace on Facebook Live, June 19th. Uh, that's set to bring exposure to Black-owned businesses and encourage wealth building within the Black community. Layla, I love this. And I especially love that as a country, we're p- finally acknowledging as of yesterday, Juneteenth as a national holiday and really recognizing its its role and its importance. Why was it important to you this year to build something around June 19th? Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I'm I'm super excited that, um, you know, we're going to be nationally recognizing Juneteenth. Um, this is actually my second year doing the Building a Black Wealth Marketplace. Um, and I, we've used my Facebook page as a platform for it. So um, Dre's, who is a hip hop artist, really, um, it, it was inspired by a song of his. And uh, he was reached out to me. I got involved. And of course, I'm a business owner and I'm always trying to promote other small businesses in general, but um, especially black owned businesses. So it's definitely important. Um, You know, we've we've got a big movement that more recently in the recent years going on where everybody kind of recognized the value in doing this. But this is something that I've always promoted and will continue to promote. Layla, there are so many businesses right now that need help. What's your process like when you're trying to figure out which businesses to feature in something like this? Well, you know, I really am not the one that chooses the businesses. So Dre's is um, really the, the the mastermind behind, 
everything um, and puts it all together. And I simply just provide the platform and, of course, help promote. And my business is a part is a part of it as well. But I will say that we're obviously looking for businesses that deserve exposure, that have great products, great service, um, that just really need more recognition. I mean, people want to support these businesses, but if you don't know about them, how can you? So, and that's just any small business in general, you know, it's really priceless to get that type of a platform that's going to bring you more um, customers and more awareness of what, what your product or service you have available. Leila Ali is with us here on Spain and Fitz. I don't know if there's any jobs left. As we mentioned, you have them all. Uh, so you've certainly figured out the secret to running many businesses. You know, I want to ask you around Juneteenth, too, because um, I'm doing the hoosa on us recognizing Juneteenth as a federal holiday while simultaneously engaging in a completely BS conversation about critical race theory that essentially says honor Juneteenth and never talk about it again. And I wonder, growing up in an activist household, how you approach social issues and activism. Is it something that you feel compelled to carry on the words and the work of your father? Or have you always wanted to to go your own direction? I don't feel burdened to carry it on, but it's something that it constantly comes up because unfortunately, there's all sorts of systematic racism that has been put in place for years that is holding people back. And that's something that we can't deny. It's something that, um, you know, I, if I don't experience it myself, then my friends or family does. So it's not something you're ever going to be able to turn your back on. And, you know, it's interesting. I watched a video of my father um, not too long ago where he was saying how, you know, his great grandfather and his um, father were all promised, oh, it'll be better for your kids, you know, and now he's like, oh, it'll be better for your kids. And it's, it's, it's a little bit better, but it's not all the way better. <laughs> so it's something that's going to continue, you know, on until, you know, we feel like we don't need to talk about it anymore. So, um, you know, but yeah, it, it is something that, like I said, I try to use my voice, my platform, but mainly I don't focus my energy on negativity. Um, even with my business, I don't go around, oh, it's a black owned business. It's like, you can see that I'm black. I don't need to tell you that, you know? Right. So um, I would like when we get to a place where it's normalized, where we don't have to say, oh, this is a black business, you know, uh, <laughs> promotion, you know, it's just a business promotion. So, but, you know, until we get to that point, that's what we're going to have to do. Layla, have you felt like a shift in the overall climate? We talk a lot here about the number of athletes that have used their platform to try and bring awareness to issues and social justice issues, particularly. Have you felt like there's been a change in the just the quantity of athletes that are out there using their platform for it? Uh, I think so. I mean, more now that you have social media and you have people building their brands and, you know, this has been something that has been more public and it's more accepted to talk about. Um, so I think that anything you can do is, is wonderful. You know, a lot of times I hear people try to compare to my father, which, you know, never is that a comparison to me because my father puts so much on the line, you know, um, but everybody's not meant to be Muhammad Ali or Colin Kaepernick, you know? So I think that as long as we are not only doing what we're passionate about, not feeling burdened to necessarily do anything, but doing what you're passionate about, because that's going to be something that you're going to be able to do consistently and being a good role model, because one of the best things you can do is, you know, lead by example, because that is what 
people are watching us. Kids are watching us, you know, and they need to see that their favorite athletes, their favorite celebrities have a character and integrity, you know, um, unfortunately, you know, that's just when I say unfortunately, meaning that kids looking up to them, because I believe parents should raise their kids and they shouldn't put so much value in celebrities and athletes because they're just people, you know, at the end of the day are not perfect, but that's just the way that it is. So, I'm always conscious of how I act, what I do, what I say, what I promote, what I attach my name to, all of that. And it comes from the legacy that my father left before me, for sure. I know that was a mouthful. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was well said, though. Leila Ali is with us here on Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Undefeated boxer, four-time world champ, television host, fitness and wellness expert, all the things. And she's got a building black wealth, Juneteenth Black Business Marketplace on Facebook Live this June 19th. you know, it's funny because I can hear in my head all of my responses and so many of my sports radio and sports media compatriots when people try to say, you know, stick to sports and, and act like there hasn't been a crossover between major social issues and athletes in the past. What's your response to that? I mean, you literally grew up with it and your dad is perhaps the most prominent example of that. If somebody um, says stick to sports. Right, right. Is it like that's just the, the foolishness of that statement and the complete if, if ignorance to history? If somebody would say that to me, I'd say kiss my ass, basically. You know what I mean? <laughs> if somebody said that to me, to my face, that's what I would say. But, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, you know, that somebody would even say something like that because at the end of the day, you know, when you haven't walked a mile in somebody's shoes to understand how important a lot of these issues are and you think you're going to reduce somebody to just running running around and, and throwing a ball for your enjoyment, but they're not allowed to say anything about what's important to them and take a stand for anything, then you can just go somewhere, you know, because that's just the way that it is. So, um, you know, and it's, it's the thing is, a lot of times fans, they'll love you until you do or say something they don't like or until you lose a game. So there's not many of us that put that much heart into fans because we know how they can be. You know, people have a life to live, and there's so much more than just an athlete on the court, period. Layla, simple question, complicated answer. What can I do to be a Mm -hmm. better ally? (laughs) What can you do? Just, um, you know, continue doing what you're doing, allowing people to come and and use your platform to to share their messages, support businesses that need support. You know, that's what we do. We vote with our dollars. You know, a lot of times people don't realize that, you know, even when I tell people when it comes to healthy eating and organic eating and all of that, like you keep paying for junk food and paying for uh, food and with poisons and it's killing you, then they're going to continue making it and making it, you know, available to you. If you start saying, I don't want genetically modified ingredients and color and chemicals and pesticides and all these things that are killing me slowly in the food and I need more options available in the grocery store, you're going to start seeing a bigger and bigger organic non-GMO section. So we have to vote with our dollars, un- understand, learn your local businesses, your small businesses, what they stand for. And that's how you kind of let your voice be heard a lot of times. So that's just a couple of the ways in which you can do it. And us all just remember to be open-minded. You know, um, a lot of times I see things and causes going on. I don't get involved in all of them. It's not that I don't care. It's only that I only have so much energy. You see what I'm saying? So I just invite everyone to just have an open heart and open mind and just understand that people have different experiences and point of views that you have. We don't all have to agree on the same thing, but we can still respect one another. And that's really what it comes down to is respect. 
That's so well said. And actually, I find the older I get, the less I'm certain of what I know, the, the more I'm open to saying I don't know and learning something. And the smarter and wiser I get, the more I'm willing to say somebody else might know better than me. So a sure sign of ignorance is believing that you, you, you don't have anything more to learn. And also, by the way, you really hit Jason where it hurt because that dude eats the worst garbage. The stuff do. that doesn't have oh, a do. single ingredient that at I one do. point was in the earth or a natural thing. Oh, man, Jason. I'm going to send you some of my Layla Ali spice blends so that Well, now you, you hit him where he always your... operates, which is free stuff. Oh, no. <laughs> that took no, a quick I, turn. I well, I'm going to send you some, too, girl. I'm going to send you some organic spices so that you're not sprinkling go. poison on your food every day, okay? There I do love go. to cook. I love to cook, and I'm a heck of a cook. So I'll take any spice help I can get. I love all of that. But all right, right Liz, like you make sure your producers send me your your mailing address, and I got you covered. Okay. All <laughs> right, that's awesome. Well, good luck with the uh, Juneteenth Black Business Marketplace, June 19th on Facebook Live. You can find it there. All sorts of great exposure to Black-owned businesses and encouraging wealth building in the Black community. Layla, thanks so much for the time. Thanks Thank so much, you so much. Take care, guys. Stash, take the rest of the night off. Just work on getting me free stuff. That's all you need to worry about from this point on. Just worry on getting me free stuff. All right. Embiid was playing tonight. The question is, what impact would it have in the game? There's a big answer to that. We'll get you caught up on the game in action right now. Atlanta taking on Philly. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can get all the stuff that you might have missed, all the show highlights, including uh, somehow managing to work in a Vladimir Putin quote tonight. And it was uh, smooth and organic. You'll have to go back and listen if you missed it. Uh, we talked earlier in the show about the challenges facing the Sixers with a hobbled Embiid who very truly and very clearly was affected by the knee injury in the second half of their last game with the Hawks. 0 for 12, still really effective on on the boards and effective on the court in terms of the attention that the Hawks needed to pay to him, but clearly wasn't himself, which left us wondering, what will he look like in this game? Uh, With the series now tied 2-2, the all-important game five. And the answer is, Pretty, pretty, pretty good. <laughs> 22 points already. 8 for 10 from the field. 5 for 5 from the stripe. A plus 26, which is higher than anybody else out on the court. And the 76ers are up 55-32 with about three minutes to play in the second quarter. Fitz, I mean, the question is, is it that you got to start strong and go aggressive because he's going to deteriorate over the course of a game and you can't guarantee yourself to have that same effort down the stretch? Is that all they got to do is just get get a big enough lead and then not blow it like they did last time? Well, one thing they got to do is make sure that Ben Simmons just doesn't even uh, – he shouldn't be allowed within, I don't know, 200 yards of a free throw line. That's the one thing we know. This, so they mm-hmm. got to get enough of a lead that fouling Ben Simmons – because to be real at this point, Atlanta One for six is, tonight. I mean, it, it. It, Atlanta <laughs> is getting crushed in this game, and they're already hacking Ben Simmons every time he touches the ball just because it's stopping the clock. Like I, I, this is astounding to see them intentionally fouling Simmons – down by 23 in the second quarter. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on. But to the point... We of, do know what's going on. <laughs> they're, they're capitalizing on a serious weakness. Like I said, now one for six from the line tonight. 
Well, in the meantime, you know, Clint Capella's been as good for as almost as many technical fouls as points as he's uh, <laughs> uh, at some point what we're seeing is a just a drastic difference in intensity and this it feels a lot like what we saw last night at the end of the game. We talked so much earlier in the show about how the Nets seemed to come out with this different fire and KD had this different whatever uh, that, that it felt like he was possessed last night. We've seen that from Embiid tonight and it's been really impressive. I mean, there's just a moment where he looks bigger, stronger, faster and better than everybody on the court because he's the aggressor. And I know it's oversimplification, but I feel like this year particularly, most of the time when we're analyzing these games the night of or the day after, we're talking about the team that's more aggressive and doing what they want and why that leads to victory. And that's a thousand percent where Philly is right now yeah it's it's hard because if you remember from the last game as I mentioned earlier the Hawks didn't shoot well Trey Young started off super cold and they still managed to win because of the mistakes that the Sixers made down the stretch Trey Young right now 11 points right two of five from the field effective from the free throw line but you know equally is not impressive for the kind of player that he is but if we react to the game as it is now we would be foolhardy because the last game looked pretty similar to this early on. And over the course of it, the Hawks just chipped away, chipped away, chipped away and put themselves in a position to close. Um, So I'm not going to be a prisoner of the moment and assume that all is well and fixed for the Sixers. They need Embiid to stay effective for the entire game and not have that knee act up. And they need to keep vigilant and not let the holes in their game, which right now is, is Ben Simmons at the line for sure. Um, prevent them from closing out. So this is far from uh, certainty at this point. Well, and, and you make a great point. I mean, last night Milwaukee was up big too, and then what did the Nets do? The Nets just came back and and found a way to match that energy. It, it's for me. I keep looking at this Philly team, and all I keep thinking about is if you'd have told me coming into the playoffs that we were going to get likely Philly versus Brooklyn, for example. Uh, going into the Eastern Conference Finals. I don't think anybody would have been surprised by that. But to think that there's a chance we're going to get a hobbled 76ers team taking on an absolutely decimated Nets team, like that doesn't really make sense in my mind. And while I'm saying that, Joel Embiid hits just this beautiful little turnaround fadeaway. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is playing at a different level tonight. It is fun to watch. I love watching these huge stars step up in this moment and say, no, this is my game. This is my series. This is my team. At my moment. I love everything about the intensity we're seeing. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I just talked to a lifelong aggrieved Sixers fan for my podcast today. Dan Pfeiffer from uh, Pod Save America and the Crooked Media stuff. Going to be out in a couple of weeks. But talking to someone who has been burned by a team over and over reminds you that we all have those stories, some more than others, right? Like, don't don't call us if you're a Patriots fan right now. But certain fan bases are used to the crushing blow. And the fact that Embiid is out there with this knee injury is already a massive improvement from him going down to injury in previous postseasons and not being able to finish, watching their season you know, fizzle out because of not being full strength instead of getting beat fair and square. So, um, again, I I don't want to jinx anything for a Sixers team that seems to be working well, but this is not a... 62 to 36. I'm not... I'm not not forgetting the history of the Sixers. I'm trusting the process. I just don't know what part of the process we're in. So what do you do when it's the history of the Sixers versus the history of Atlanta sports? Because that's what the Hawks have on Very their true. shoulders. Very right? true. I mean, <laughs> which, yes. which lovable loser Something's is gotta it? Give. 
But fascinating, you know, honestly, that we're even talking about the Hawks at this point. Um, the Hawks were 14 and 20 in 11th place in the East on March 1st mm. when they decided Lloyd Pierce was out, Nate McMillan would be bumped up, and what could he do with this team? I mean, 11th place in the East. And now, you know, they're two wins away from advancing. They're holding the number one seed in the Sixers to a very tight series. And it's it's been really fun to watch. And I, I do think I was listening to another show, which will not be named, uh, not on our air. And they were saying that this is a fail for the NBA, that fans watching don't believe that the best teams are still in it, that maybe if it was Clippers, Sixers, the ratings would be okay and people would believe that it was justified. I don't agree. I think the fact that there are some of the older names and players we've gotten used to not in it doesn't mean that the right teams have an advance. It means that there's an inevitable transition of power to some of the younger stars, and I'm cool with that. I'm really enjoying it, especially when we've got some of those old heads mixed in with those young stars, guys like Chris Paul. Yeah, I love everything about what we're seeing, frankly, and I think that if the NBA has had any valid complaint from its fans over the last few years is that the existing season so often has been so predictable that we spend mm-hmm. our time talking about the upcoming off season and what it'll mean for next year, why next year will be different. Now we're finally in a year that does feel different. Everything feels like it's upside down. I'm not going to fault that for a second. I mean, and, and realistically, what do most sports end up crowning? Like the, when you've got the Giants taking on an undefeated Patriots team in the Super Bowl, everybody's rooting for the Giants. Like we like unpredictability. We're not rooting for the best team to just go out there and win it. That's, that becomes boring. Cough college football at times, right? So I'll mm-hmm. take any sort of unpredictability that we can get through this process. And if it means we get a final that has less ratings, I'll take it if it means that we're growing these young players into future stars. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.